0: Because I believe this is something close to my heart that God has a vision for each and every one of us That God has a vision and a clarity for each and every one of us And a lot of times it's the devil's plan to try to steal that away And so every so often I feel like we have to we have to just recertify We have to strengthen that vision or that clarity that God gives us and sometimes if it's dead We need a miracle to bring that vision back to life And so today I just want to talk to you about recovering vision I just want to talk to you today about how the devil tries to creep in and we find ourselves in this almost difficult or scary situation in our spiritual lives where we feel lost or we feel frustrated or we feel like we can't see God. All right. Show of hands before we even start today. It's my last thing I'll make you do right before I just let you settle into your comfortable chair. Show of hands. How many of you ever been lost in your life? How many would admit it? You've been lost. And when I was younger, I had the reputation for getting lost. I don't know. It was just something that I got lost in concerts. I got lost on road trips. I got lost at school. I got lost when we would go places. I got lost at church. I got lost in airports. Come on, somebody. But I wasn't actually lost. I knew exactly where I was. Right. It was everybody else that was lost. Everybody else didn't know where they were and they'd have to look for me. Right. But I was I was where I needed to be. I was exactly where I knew. But as I got older, I started to travel a lot on my own and I would I would go on my own a lot of different places. And so I had the opportunity right when I got out of college to work in a school in India for a couple of months. And so I went there and I I got in, I was settling in and I had to take a train to another city for a couple of days and come back with some supplies that we needed. And so I went and I was coming back and this before I didn't have a cell phone, I didn't have anything. But before I left, I was coming back to the city and they got message to me that the guy who was supposed to meet me at the train station uh, had to be hospitalized. He had to be rushed to the hospital so he wasn't going to be able to meet me. And I said, that's no problem. I can get back. I got no no problem with that. The problem is, is that I've always been directionally challenged in my life. And I don't, I just something, it's kind of hard for a man to admit that, but it's true. I used to get lost, but I would get lost in the mall. Like I would come out and be like, this looks familiar, like this looks, I don't know, I, I turned this, this looks the same, right? I just, I'm getting better, all right? The Lord is is working on me, he's giving me supernatural direction, he's just working. How many remember, right, them, how many like that we have the apps now that tell you exactly where you are? That just, that speaks to me, That's, that speaks my language, right? Just tells me, Because everybody remember when we went through the MapQuest uh, time period, right? We had to print out directions and take them with you, and they would always lead you to someplace that you could be murdered, like they would just take you. I don't know. Like, it would say, you're at Walmart. And I'd be like, I'm not at Walmart. I'm not, I'm nowhere. <laughs> Honestly, I believe Apple Maps does that today. I think it still does that. But there have been wars fought about which one, right, is better. And that's not what this message is about. So we'll just keep, but I, I took a wrong turn on the way back to the school. I took this wrong turn. And then I, I thought, well, if I just go back and make the right turn, then I'll be, you know, I'll be on the right thing. And that didn't work. And so I took another wrong turn and then another one. It just kind of compounds, right? And so minutes turn into hours. And light starts turning into dark and it starts to get a little bit, a little bit sketchy where I am. And I start thinking, well, if I can just and I get more and more frantic and the more frantic I get. Right. I'm on foot. So the more frantic I get, the faster I start to run and I start to just just to look. And I I can't in some ways. Look, Okay, this looks familiar, but it's not the right way. And this one and I get more and more lost. And so for hours, I get more and more frustrated. I get more and more, more and more just disoriented and more and more discouraged that I'm never going to find this thing until finally, just by one random turn, I stumble back across the school again. And it's in the middle of the night by this point. It's about midnight. And so I stumble across this road and I see the school and I'm excited. I stumble in the gates and it's like, I'm here. I here you know, the difference between getting lost at five years old and getting lost at 20 is nobody's looking for you. All right. Nobody cares if you're nobody like I'm I'm like I'm thirsty, I'm tired. I like I was scoping out places to sleep on the street. I think I'm going to die, right? I picked out the gang I'm going to join. I've got like like everything everything set and they're just like, "Oh cool, he's back. You know, there's your bed. Go to sleep. You start in the morning. Come on." And I remember thinking like, "Man, nobody cares, but nobody's nobody's looking for you." But you start to get the the longer and longer that you're lost, you start to get discouraged, you start to get disoriented. You start to get frustrated. You start to question. And I wonder how many of us metaphorically go through that in our own lives, in our spirituality. Where we make one mistake or we make one wrong turn and then suddenly we feel like we can't hear God. And we've, we feel like, okay, all that vision, all that clarity I had yesterday, I've made that mistake and now I don't see it anymore. And we're not really sure which way to turn and we're really trying hard, but nothing is really happening for us. For some of us, this could be in our marriage Well, we started that thing thinking, okay, this is going to be on the rock and this is going to be. But we brought in all these things that have marked us from our past and all these beliefs that we have about people that have shown up from our previous relationships and from different things that we've walked through. And we're trying to deal with those and we really love our spouse, but we can't seem to get on the same page. And we lose hope and we lose vision that it could ever be as beautiful as we dreamed it could be when it started. And we think we just can't we can't get together. We're trying really, really hard. And for others, of us, it's in our careers Some of us is with our children and raising them. Some of us with the adult children and how they are acting or how their lives are going. And we've lost vision for it. And the devil tries to attack us in that place of vision. Because the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 29. It tells us in this verse where there is no vision. Because if he can take it, then death starts to happen. If he can steal vision out of our lives, then death starts to happen in our lives. Because when we can't see where we're going... When we can't see past whatever that obstacle is, we can't see past whatever that wrong decision was. We have no vision for after it. We start to die in our lives. In fact, jot it down this way if you're taking notes today. It's the absence of direction is oftentimes the essence of death. The absence of direction is oftentimes brings in those different elements that are essential to bringing about death in your life. And all of a sudden you feel that way in different areas. Some of you may feel that way in your health. Some of you have been going through some things and you feel that way where it's never happened. You've seen the doctors, you've been prayed over and it's still not going away. And so you see nothing past that thing. You have no vision past that sickness. You have no vision past that disease. You have no vision past that season of your life. And so you've kind of succumbed to it and then your life leads to where the devil wants it to and that is to death. And you start to feel that death in every area, in every area of your spirituality. In fact, the devil knows if he can steal your hope, he can make you sick. Proverbs says that in chapter 13, that hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. That If you never see anything past what you're struggling through right now, you will grow sick. And eventually you'll end up where the devil wants your life to be, both in dying physically or dying in the spiritual. Where the devil's trying to bring those. And today I believe God wants to do a miracle in our lives. I believe God wants to do a miracle in our lives. We're going to talk about a story that is a miracle, a physical healing of blindness that I believe can speak to spiritual blindness that can speak to our lives, whatever area it is that you've lost hope in, that God needs to bring it back to life. I want to read through this story. Mark chapter 8, 22 to 26 is going to be our text today. They said they came to Bethsaida. This is Jesus walking with his disciples. So they come to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and they begged Jesus to touch him. And so Jesus took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And the man said, I kind of, I see people, right? But they look like trees walking around. And so once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were open, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And then in verse 26, Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. First thing I want you to notice there is that word restored. That his sight was restored. And the word restored, it means that to be restored, it means to be brought back or to return to its former state. That word restored means to return to its former state, because from this and other clues in the language that we read of the story, this man was not born blind. There's some that come to Jesus that were born blind, but this man had his sight. He saw clearly like all of us do. But then something happened to him that stole his sight from him. And so like a lot of us, he saw with clarity. He saw with vision. But somewhere along the way, we had an event. Somewhere along the way, we had something happen to us. And I don't know what it was in your life, but we had something that happened to us that stole that vision or that clarity or that hope that we had. And that thing was stolen from this man that stole it from him. And so we see here a journey that Jesus takes the man on in order to recover or to restore his blindness, to restore the vision. And that's what I want to talk to you today, the same journey that we have to go on in our lives for our vision to be restored, that Jesus wants to take us on. Because I believe it. I'll say it again, that God wants to do a miracle in your life. And I don't know where your theology lands on all that, but I believe it with all my heart. God wants to bring the dead back to life in your life. He wants to bring a vision or a clarity or something that you saw at one time. Whatever it was, some hope that you had, that the just the cares or some event of life stole from you. God wants to restore it. God wants to restore it in your life. But I want you to know there is a journey that comes along with it. So verse 23. Jesus takes the man by the hand and he leads him outside of the village. A couple of principles to take from this. First of all, jot it down if you're taking notes. The first principle that it comes from this is that God does want to do a miracle in your life, but he has to do it outside of the village. He takes this man outside of the village. He takes him to his place. Jesus has a place that he wants to do the miracle in. And so he takes the man by hand and he leads him to it. He says, I want to do a miracle in your life, but I'm not going to be able to do it here in the village. Because the village was marked by this guy's pain. The village was marked by all the people that were around this guy. The village was marked by all the things that had happened around him. And he says, look, I've got to take you out of that. Take a little journey. Come with me. He leads him by the hand. And he says, we're going to do it out here. And one of the truths we can learn from this story by Jesus taking out is that God wants to give us direction, but first he has to get our attention. God has to get our attention before we can start to pour direction into us. He's got to get our attention. Because a lot of times we pray prayers like, Lord, give me clarity. God, give me vision. God, I just want to see. Give me hope. Give me whatever it is that I need to do. And God says, I want to give it to you. But you can't get it in the environment. Or you might not be able to hear it where you're at. With the people that are around you or in the environment that you're living in. Or the job or the people. Whatever it is that you're in. The choices. Whatever that is around you. You're not going to be able to hear the voice of God. You're surrounded by too many distractions. One of the incredible things that we do in January is we pray and we fast. We pray to hear God's direction for the year and for our families, but then we fast so we can shut out all the other distractions, all the other things that are trying to just clamor for your attention. God is saying he'd give you direction, but he's got to get your attention first. I told you a little bit about the season of life that my wife and I are in last week, um, that our kids are six, five and two. So come on, somebody, it's chaos at our house every single day. It's just a new kind of chaos. They just come up with new new things that I've never heard about that aren't in any of the books. Come on, somebody, they they just make up stuff. But one of our three is a little more an insider of the chaos. He's just a little bit more, kind of loves it a little bit more than the other two, right? So he's always at the center of it, just always... I always did just full of passion, all right, which will serve him well as an adult. But as a child, it's just fairly annoying. Come on, somebody, just kind of got to do it So we're just praying. We're going through. But he's just always at the middle. And so I've got to get, I try to get down to his level and be like, buddy, you got to listen to me. And and even then he's just like, oh, like just what, what else, what else can I get? Just, just look at someone last week. I grabbed his face and I'm just like, look at me. And he's doing this one. Just Come on, Lord, we're just not listening to the direction of my father. Just listening to the just I got I got to get on his level. I got to get him to focus. So as a parenting principle with that particular child, we have to remove him from the pandemonium, remove him from the craziness and take him somewhere quiet, like a bedroom or someone. If you're in a store out to the car, come on, everybody fair. Everybody is scared of the car, right? And you're just scared. We got to remove him from that so he can hear clearly the direction that I'm speaking to him, The just the, the knowledge that I am spouting out to my child just to direct him. And so I get him somewhere quiet where I can talk to him and say, buddy, you can't talk like that. You can't speak back like that to your parents, right? You can't choke your brother just because he's there. You can't, you can't steal your sister's Peppa Pig or whatever it is. You can't, you can't do those things, right? You can't, I have to get him away from the distractions so I can give him direction. And I think so many times for us in our lives, the battle is not that God has stopped speaking. The battle is we we can't listen with all the distractions. The battle is for our attention. God hasn't stopped speaking to you. The battle is with our attention because we have so many different things that cloud. In fact, in Hebrews, it says, be careful that you don't resist the one who is speaking to you. There is one speaking to you. Be careful. You don't let the distractions and all the things that you've let in. You don't let them choke out the vision. God's trying to speak to you because he's got to get that direction. It's not that God has stopped speaking it's we've stopped listening. We stopped listening to things. Too many competitive voices. Even why in the Old Testament, when God speaks to Moses, you read that account when he speaks to him in the burning bush. The Bible says that, the Bible says when God saw that he got Moses' attention, then he spoke to him. He had to get his attention. So with his blind man, he said, look, I'm going to do a miracle in your life. i got to take you, though, to a place where you can focus. i got to take you in a place where you can focus. I think oftentimes on the journey, it's not only a journey to get our attention, but it's also a journey to get us to be a little more pliable to what God has to do for our lives. Because if we stay in that place of comfort, we stay in that place that we know as marked by pain as it is. We let those things suffocate and we let those things drown out the voice of God. And so he says, I've got to get you not only on this journey to hear the voice of God, but also I've got to get you a little more pliable. Because if you're in your place of comfort or you're in your place of familiarity, maybe not even comfort. Then a lot of times you won't let anything change. We cry out, God, I want you to change my life. God, I want you to give me vision. But Lord, don't change too much. Like, Lord, don't, don't touch those areas because I kind of like those and I kind of I kind of am familiar with those. Don't change everything, Lord. I want you to move in my life, but only to a certain extent. And so God is saying, I've got to get you out of the village. I've got to get you out of that place of comfort or even that place marked by pain so that you can be a little bit more pliable to what God has to do. Isaiah 64 gives this picture, by the way. It says, You, Lord, are the Father. We're the clay. You're the potter. And we are all the work of your hand. We're molded and we're shaped By your hand, you're the potter, we're the clay. And so God says, if I can't get you to my place, to the furnace, if I can't get you to my place, to where I start to heat, I start to do it. If I can't get you to where I can mold you, i got to get you to there. So God takes us on a journey, takes us to this place. And then our text says in the next verse in Mark 8, he took him by the hand, led him outside. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? To which a jaded and cynical person would have said, do I see anything? You just spit in my face like you spit in my eyes. And then you ask, do I I see anything? Of course, I see. I I don't see you spit in my face. We would start to say, put yourself in the story for a minute, right? Because I don't want to rush past this verse. A lot of times I think we read these stories and we just kind of read these stories. We just say, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Jesus healed a guy. Jesus did all the thing. But imagine you are in this story like you come to victory on a Sunday. And you come in and we start to worship and the worship team is gone. And it's just an awesome time in the presence of God. And you've got your family and you're like, God is going to move in our life. And you hear during that last song, the prayer team will be at the front. And they would love to pray for you. And you think, this is our chance. God is going to pray. I want God to move in my life. And so you bring your whole family forward. And you're like, Lord, I want you to move. I want clarity. I want, I just want your vision for my life. And you come up to that prayer dream team member. And you say, I just pray for me, brother. I want God to speak in my life. And that member... Hawks back one. Come on, people, it's OK. to lie. You're not going to stand there and say, Lord, I receive it. I just I want you to move in my life. Spit on me, brother. Just move. Holy Spirit, just just right now. This you're going to say, is this guy about to spit on me and my family? Come on, somebody. We have to use the victory security team out here. If we had. You come down during that song, you say, what is going on? This guy, Jesus spits on him. Like, I'd be like looking to those people who brought me to Jesus. But like you didn't tell me he's going to spit on me. Like, you just you didn't tell me about that church. That church spits on people. That church does. the. I'm telling you, I'd be my first and last Sunday. I don't know where you guys. I don't know. You guys can be all holy and spiritual all you want. I'm out of there. People be spitting on people. But he says, do you see anything? And he asks them, what, what's going on, Jesus? Don't do that. But here's how God moves in our lives. A lot of times if God moves in our lives, it is in place that we don't expect. I just got to warn you, if you're asking God for vision. You're asking God for a miracle. He wants to do it, but sometimes he may spit on you. Put that on your fridge on a magnet. Come on, somebody. Put that, put that in your first year of seminary. You ever have prayers that are answered like that? Just, just bear with me. Have you ever had prayers that are answered? You pray, God, I want you to change my life. God, I want you to do something miraculous. I want you to, Lord, I'm all, I'm all in. I just want you to do something, Lord. And then your life gets turned upside down. And you're like, wait, 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 wait God, no more moving. Like, don't do anything else. And stuff starts to move that you're like, hey, I didn't want you to move that. Hey, I didn't want you to change that. Lord, stop, 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 stop. Like, I'm out. I'm I'm done with. You ever pray prayers like that? Where you pray, God, I'm all in. A lot of times it doesn't look the way that you and I want it to look. Where God says, okay, I've got a plan for you. But a lot of times it doesn't look like that. Reality is God takes us through a journey. Now, I want to be very clear that God is not the author of evil in your life. God is all good and the devil is all bad. And we have to confront that theology on its head. But there is a lot of times when we go through a journey God brings us through where our life starts to look a little bit messy. And it's not it's a little unorthodox. It's not quite what we thought it would be the path that God leads us on. But he's got a plan for us. And so if you pray, God, give me your vision. God, give me your clarity. Give me the dream that you have for me. Be ready because something might be coming. It's just it's right. By the way, it's unique to each way that Jesus heals. It's why you can't just watch on TV somebody selling for hundred dollars five ways to get your miracle and you just you just buy that and that's how it happens. It's just five five miracles. The disciples sit and bottle up magic Jesus spit right and sell it on television for your blindness healing. Come on, somebody. It's okay to laugh in church, all right? Somebody, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a real time. It's not a formula. It's not something that they said because it's not too many times we worship the wrong thing. Too many times we worship the wrong thing. We focus on the wrong thing. I'm just telling you, you got to focus on the master and not the miracle. You gotta to begin to focus on the right thing if you're gonna experience a miracle in your life, because it's not about the method, it's not about the thing, it's about the master and Jesus who's doing the miracle in your life. Focus on Jesus, the process, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Verse 25 of our text in Mark chapter 8: What's more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were opened, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So he's going to take us to the place so he can take us through his process. Why? Because he's given us the goal. And that is so we can see with his perspective. So at the end of all of that, he took us to the place. He went through the process so that we could have his perspective. We could see clearly. At the end of all of that, as oftentimes, and here's just a beautiful thought for you. As oftentimes in my life, as I've been lost, as oftentimes as I felt discouraged, as oftentimes as I felt I took the wrong path spiritually or I did the wrong thing or I stepped out in the wrong way, as often as that has happened to me, Here's the principle. God was never lost. God was never confused. God was never disoriented. God never said, you know, like, this is just too much. As many times as I went to and said, Lord, I'm frustrated and I'm lost and I just don't know. And I did this and I don't know how to make it right. And I don't know where I'm supposed to be. God always knows what my next step is. There was never a point that I prayed that where God was just like, that's pretty bad, buddy. I don't know what we're going to do about that. Like, I don't know, like, that, that's really bad. Like, I'm going to have to get with the team and get back to you because we don't, we don't know what we're going to do in that situation. God is never like that. God always knew exactly where I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to do, what the next step is supposed to be. God is never disoriented or lost. Now, the Bible says in Psalms 139, it says it this way. He said, you saw my unformed body before I was even born. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We serve a God who knows the beginning from the end. We serve a God who knows everything and we don't go in prayer to him to inform him about our problems. We don't go in prayer to inform him. Hey, God, look at what's happening. You better get down here and do something. We don't go in and pray that we go to pray to him because he's the author of what is going to happen. He's the author of everything that is done. He has a plan for the earth. We go and say, "Okay, what is your plan and how can I be a part of it? How can I be a part of what's unfolding in the earth? The journey that we're on is a journey for God to say, okay, this is what I have in store. This is the plan that I'm working out. And we say, how can I be a part? How can I start to live? It's why Romans chapter 12 says it this way. In your life, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. You know why he says it like that? Because we do. Because we do. We start to live our lives. We talk like the world. We act like the world. We raise our kids like the world. We do our marriage like the world. We do all of the things in our life like the world. We handle everything that's given to us like the world does. And then when it all falls apart, we wonder why. Because the world doesn't have the answer for it. So then what do we do? He said, transform you. Let God transform you into a new person. I love this phrase, by changing the way that you think. Why? Because belief is what drives action. Whether you know this or not, everything that you do in your life is the result of a belief. Every action that you take is the result of it, whether it's a subconscious or conscious belief. Whatever it is in your life, you believe that something is going to react a certain way. Every action that you take is based on that belief. And so did you know this? When you live out your spirituality, your view or your perspective of who God is will determine how you act in your spirituality. That's why it's so important to see Jesus truly as he is so that that you can react accordingly. Because if you have a twisted or a bad view of God, your spirituality will act in a certain way that's not correct. You'll start to act in a different way. That's why it's so important to understand Christ and his love, Paul says, to know the love of Christ. But there's nothing that can separate you from it. There's nothing. If you live your life knowing God is the father who is relentlessly pursuing you, who loves you, you'll begin to live out your life in a different way. That God wants to have a relationship with you. But if you have a twisted view of God, if you start to see him in a different way... Then you'll pray differently or you might not pray at all. If you believe that God doesn't care about you, you might not ever want to go to him. But if you see him truly as he is, as a father who loves you, who wants you, who wants to be in a relationship with you, who knows you for who you are more than you know yourself, more than anyone else knows you, knows you for who you are and still wants to be in a relationship, still gave his life for you, you will live in a different way. You'll begin to live in a different way. You live your marriage believing things about other people. You, believe it, you let that affect the way that you are. The way that you give, it, it shows how you believe about the world. If you don't give generously to the people around you, are you your source or is God your source? Because it's one thing to say God is my source, but if I'm not generous to the ones around me, the people that God has sent into my life to bless, if I'm not generous towards them, then I'm not truly believing God is my source. It's me. It's the way that I can calculate, the way that I can do it. So these deep beliefs in our life are orchestrating. And we've got to know that God is taking us on a journey to give us his perspective. And every step of the way, he's orchestrating, reorchestrating. He's teaching us a lesson. So what do we have to do? What does this look like in our lives? How does this translate practically in what we have to do? I think there are three things from the stories we close that we can learn from this man. Number one, first of all, we've got to stay connected to people. We have to stay connected to people. You've got to. The devil's goal, his end goal is to get you into Isolation. His end goal is to get you, because in verse 22, it says this at the very beginning of our story. It says they came to Bethsaida and some people, we don't even know who these people are. We don't know if they're friends of his. We don't know if they're just village people. We don't know where they came from. We don't know who they are. But it just says some people, they brought the blind man to Jesus and they begged Jesus to touch him somewhere in your journey. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you still have that to go somewhere in your journey. You're going to have a time. You're going to come to a point in your life where you're going to need other people around you to join with you. And beg Jesus on your behalf to touch you. Whether you got lost or confused. Or whether you're blinded in your clarity or your vision. There's going to come a point where you're going to need people to come around you. And begin to join their faith to yours and begin to pray. And if you find yourself all alone on that day. There'll be nobody to stand with you. Listen to me. If you are doing life alone. If you are processing life alone. It is a fact you will go crazy. You will go absolutely crazy. Why? Because the devil is the author of lies. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He's really good at it. He's really good at lying. And if you are not having someone around you as a sounding board to begin to talk to and process life through another Christian that you can trust or a group of believers that can drag you to Jesus to beg, when you go blind like this, the devil comes in with his lies and you start to believe them. When there's no one there who can talk to you, you start to believe these crazy lies that he would tell you that nobody loves you, that no one has ever loved you, that God doesn't even love you. That nobody cares about you. That you're all alone in your life. That nobody, you'll never be anything. And your marriage is going to fall apart. And, and your kids are never going to serve the Lord. And he starts to bring these lies into your life. And if you don't have someone around you that you can have a sounding board on. That you can start to talk out, you'll start to believe those lies. Because you've got to have somebody close enough to you. Somebody close enough to you that can just step in when you're saying those things. And they can say, hey, you know that's a lie, right? You know that thing that you just said about yourself, that's a lie, right? Like you actually do have value. Like that thing that you said, that there are actually people who love you and that you're not alone and that you do have value and that you are worth fighting for and that you are beautiful and you are not trash, That you're a treasure that God gave his life for. You got to have people around you that speak those things into your life that said that God looked at you and God calls you beautiful and that you are worth fighting for in this life and that Jesus gave his life for you and that God loves you. Is there anybody awake in this Baptist church today? Come on, somebody. Anybody? That you got to have people in your life that can speak those things into you. And if you don't have that around you, get in a small group. If I can encourage you, before you go one more Sunday at this church, get in a small group. Get people around you. Because there are hundreds of people in this church that want to speak that into your life. They want to look at you and speak that truth into your life. But if you don't have anybody around you to speak that, you don't have anybody around you. You've got to have people that will fight for you and beg God on your behalf. Begin to pray for you. Why do you need that? Proverbs 17, it says it this way. It says there's a friend that loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. He's born for that moment. Those people in your small group, they were born for that moment that they could speak that into your life. Those people that are around you and the people that you're around, you were born for that moment that you could speak truth and love into their life. We were born for that, that we could encourage, that we could beg God on their behalf, that he he put us in that place. He maneuvered everything to put us in that place to pray for that person to speak that truth into those persons. We can't keep silent. can't keep silent around that. We talked about this a few weeks ago in Kirby. talked about it at the launch of our small group semester. You need somebody in your corner fighting for you. You've got to surround people who have hope for you, people who are going to cry out to Jesus for you, beg Jesus on your behalf. Number two, if you're going to recover your vision, you've got to stay committed to the journey. If you're going to recover your vision, you've got to stay committed. You've got to say, you know what? No matter what, No matter what it looks like, if it doesn't look like what I thought it would, no matter what happens, I'm going to stay committed. If God does it in my way, in my timing, or if he doesn't, I'm going to stay committed to the journey. Watch this in the verse. The first part it says, it says he led him by the hand out of the village. So he grabbed this blind man by the hand. The blind man could have been saying, look, I'm blind. I don't go places with strangers. Like, I just don't, I don't leave the village like this. I don't go. I don't know what's about to happen. Right. And then you notice from the next verse, he might have been justified. Right. in in saying that. But he said, look, I, I, don't, I don't know what's happening. I don't know you. Are you taking me someplace to kill me? Like, are you just... He could have said all those things. It's a lot more vulnerable in this story. We just kind of skip over the verse. But we stay committed to the journey, to being connected. No matter what happens, we say, okay, God, I'm open to what you're going to do. And so from this point forward, no matter what happens, I'm holding on to your hand. I'm staying with you. I'm committed to the journey. In the Old Testament, we studied a few weeks ago the story of Joseph. We sang that song today and we, we worshiped at the end after the worship. Where We just talked about the story of Joseph. And if you don't know that story, it's where God took this person, gave him, Joseph, this vision of leadership. And then in his family, he was betrayed by his brothers, by those closest and thrown in the pit. And then he's betrayed and sold into slavery and he gets into slavery. And then he's betrayed by the master's wife and he's thrown into the prison. And when he's there, he's betrayed by his friends and he's left to rot and to die until God orchestrates everything to take him to the palace. God orchestrates everything in his life. And you ask, well, why did that happen for Joseph? Why did God turn everything that was bad in Joseph's life? Why did he turn it for good? Why did that happen? Well, the Bible says in every season, you can read it in the story, in every season, Joseph kept his heart right. Joseph kept his heart right before God. And so the Bible says it clearly in each section of that story. It says, and then God was with Joseph. And God was with Joseph. And God was with Joseph. You want to know how you get that phrase into your life? How you want that written into every chapter of your life? You keep your heart right before God. You keep your heart right before him. Because then it says God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. And he was with Joseph. Because the Bible tells us in James chapter 4, you want God to be close to you. Come near to God. And he'll come near to you. You keep your heart right before God. You come near before him. And then God was with Joseph. And God was with Joseph. So in every season, he stayed close. Because you're going to have to make that commitment. Because there are times when the devil will attack and I want to tell you again, God is all good and the devil is all bad. But sometimes we get those confused in times of tragedy or times of grief or times of hardship that we walk through. We get those things confused. and We begin to cry out, God, why would you allow it? I know maybe you didn't cause it, but why would you allow it? And I don't understand God and I just I don't see it. But I want to tell you again, this is one of those hard things to think about Christianity is God has not called us to understanding. He's called us to belief and trust. Amen. And he's called us to believe and trust in him. Because we believe in God that he is always good. And so we say, I'm committed to the journey, God. No matter what it looks like, I'm committed to what you have for me. He's called us to faithfulness. And so this man trusts. He follows this person he doesn't know out of the village. By the hand, he leads him. Then in verse 23, Jesus spits on his face. And he asks him, do you see anything? And now the man has another choice. Like he's... He's got the spit, he's got another choice before him because he probably feels pretty insignificant at this moment because think about it. Most of the people Jesus prays for get healed on the first try. I don't know if you're, I don't know if that's something in here. Most of the people that Jesus prayed for, this is the son of God and this man is thinking, okay, it didn't work. It's a pretty insignificant place. He's already the blind man and somebody has spit on him. So he already feels a little bit small, but now he's thinking, okay, it didn't work in my life. Imagine the pressure he's probably under. Like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my faith? Because I know it's one thing for other people to pray for you, but think if Jesus himself prayed for you and you didn't get healed. Are you going to go back to him like, Jesus, I thought, you you know, you did a pretty good job. I would say like 65 percent. Like I would just, you know, that's pretty good, Jesus, but it's not all the way. And think about the people that brought him to Jesus. They're probably thinking, are you kidding me? Like, what's wrong with you? We begged you like Jesus doesn't see Everybody. Like, Jesus doesn't, like, we we had to beg him and we had to bring you to this place. And, like, sometimes Jesus speaks and people hundreds of miles away get saved. What's wrong with you? What's going on? This guy's probably feeling he risked getting spit on again. Like, that's probably a pretty clear and present risk in this story. Like, I don't see that well. Like, like, I don't know. Like, are you going to kick me this time? Like, I don't know. I don't know. he, He has a risk that's going on in this. But he's committed to the journey. And one of parts of that is being honest In the journey, being honest in our faith. Because one of the lies that is from the pit of hell that I want to confront this morning is this societal pressure, this cultural pressure to act like it's okay when it's not okay. It's a lie from the pit of hell that's crept its way into the church where you feel like you have to act like it's okay when it's not. And I want to tell you this, I don't know who this is for, but you've got to stop that pretense. if you're going to be committed to this journey, you gotta, you got to stop this pretense. And you got to be willing to be honest and say it's not okay when it's not okay. Stop telling people that it is when it's not. Stop trying to force the smile on your face and the high five and trying to bring joy to everybody else and trying to hide that on the inside. If it's not okay, say it's not okay. Begin to say that. Begin to be willing to say it. To say, look, I'm not okay. I'm broken on the inside. I need healing. I can't see. you got to be willing to say that. And I want encourage you also when the environment don't go, you know, in the wrong environment, don't go spread it. Don't be the basket case to the mailman. When you're in the right environment around people who are loving you, people who can speak truth in your life, be willing to say, look, I can't see. Look, I know you prayed for me last week. I know that we had that thing six months ago, but look, it's come back again. Or look, I, it never really cleared up all the way. I need you to stand with me again. I need you to join your faith with me. Be willing to put that out there. If you're committed to the journey, you got to be honest. And so this man is honest with Jesus himself. He says, look, Jesus, I see people, but they're like trees. They're walking around. It's not all the way. In fact, this happened in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter six. God is speaking and he says that this is the religious leaders he's talking about. He said they dress the wounds of my people as though they were not serious. Like they just gloss over what's actually happening in people's lives as though they were not serious. He said, peace, peace, they say, but there's no peace. If there's no peace in your life, you got to say it. If you need that 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 prayer, you need that that closeness of community, you got to be willing to be honest about it. You got to bring that out and we can stand with you. You got to be honest with somebody and say, "Okay, stand with your faith with mine. Stand with your faith with mine. Let's just seek God together." You got to have a place where you can say, "Look, I'm struggling." That's what this church needs to be about is we have people. It's not going to be condemning you. Oh, you're struggling with that again. Well, we can't pray with you more than once. You know, that's just you're on your own after that one. We got to be a church that gathers around people and say, okay, you're struggling. We're going to keep praying. We're going to put our hands back on your eyes. We're going to keep praying for vision and for clarity. We're going to continue to stand with you throughout the journey. We're going to join our faith. We're going to beg Jesus to touch you got a place that you can pray that. Why? Because in verse 25, Jesus laid his hands on the man's eyes again. And then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored. His vision was restored and he saw everything clearly. See, Jesus is with him, but it was honesty in the process that brought his clarity. It was honesty in the process that finally brought about the clarity for this guy. And so if you're crying out to God, for vision and you're crying out to God for clarity and for hope and for something Him to do a miracle in your life. Honesty in the journey is one of the things that brings about the clarity. One of the things that brings about the miracle when we allow God to have his place and we go through his process and he gives us his perspective. So we have the right people in the right place and community that are around us, that are standing with us and we're committed to the journey, no matter what the cost is, no matter what it looks like, we're committed to that journey. Then the final thing is we close. The third thing that you have to do is you have to steer clear of the pitfalls you can't go back to the village. I don't know who that is for this morning, but once you have all this and the miracle has taken place in your life, you can't go back to the village. You can't go back to that place of blindness. You can't go back to where you came from. Because the last thing God knows that the devil is trying to steal that miracle as soon as it happens. As soon as it happens, he's trying to come in and steal that back from me. He's kind of come in with the lies and the, the disperceptions. And he's trying to say, God doesn't do miracles anymore. And what you experience, that's not really God. And it didn't really happen. And you're just, you're just making things up. And he tries to steal that thing from the moment that it happens. And so the last thing that Jesus tells him, last thing he says is, you can't go back. Don't go into the village. It says, don't go back to that. Don't go back to the old patterns. Don't go back to the old perspective. Don't go back to the old relationship. Don't go back to the old places of pain and hardship and lies. Don't go back there because it's trying to steal your miracle. When God does a miracle in your life, you got to protect it. When he brings back that vision, listen to me, church, it's imperative that you hold on to that miracle, not only because God wants to do something and God wants to see your life healed and whole, not only just because of that, because of your faith but because of the people that you will touch with the life that God has changed. Because of the people that God is reaching out now through you is why you need to protect the miracle. Because there are hundreds and thousands of people that you're supposed to reach that if you don't guard the miracle will never be reached. If you don't guard the miracle that God put into your life, it's about the people God wants to touch. In the early 1900s, there was a little nine-year-old boy living in western Armenia. And during the genocide of the Turks in that area where they began to slaughter the Armenian people, that little boy with his family were led to a river and they were asked to deny Christ or die. And little boy watched as his father and his uncles and his aunts and everyone laid their head on the block instead of denying Christ. And he held his mother's hand as they were led up. And at that moment, one of the soldiers stole the little boy away from the line and hid him in a cave as his mother laid her head down and gave her life for Jesus. And the next day, the soldier took the boy to the marketplace and he sold him into slavery. And for three years, he spent his life as a slave in a house in southern Syria. And he lived there and he took care of the animals and he served the food and he was starved and beaten and mistreated. But he remembered the Jesus that his mother prayed to. And so he would pray in his quiet times. He would say, Jesus of my mother, please help me. And they would beat him. And they would change his name to Abdullah, the servant of Allah. And he would pray, Jesus of my mother, please help me. The last one of his family. And three years later, he could take no more of it. And so he ran. And for three days, he crossed the Syrian countryside, dodging the war bands and the battle and the different graveyards and everywhere that he had to go. And no one would take him in and no one would give him anything. And so for three days, no food, no water until he could go no further. And so the last one of his family crawled onto a rock and he prepared to die. And one more time, he prayed, Jesus of my mother, please help me. And at that moment, there were three men walking by. And he couldn't even move to hide from them. And they went to pass him by thinking he was already dead until one of them saw him move. And there were three Mennonite missionaries from the States who had come to help the refugees in Western Armenia. And they picked the boy up and they carried him to an orphanage nearby. And the little boy grew up in the orphanage and he married another girl from that same orphanage. And they they got married and started a family in a refugee camp in Beirut. Until it burned down and then they moved to Jerusalem with their family. And times were still hard and they didn't have enough to eat. And so he had to take his two boys, his oldest boys, out of the school. And put them to work in shops in the old city of Jerusalem just so they could get bread to eat. But he taught them about the Jesus of his mother that had saved him. And one of those little boys, the second son, Worked in a shoe shop and he would keep a New Testament in front of him and he would read those words in that dark shoe shop. And he would read the Testament about the Jesus that had saved his father, the Jesus that his grandmother had given her life for. And he would read those stories as he sewed shoes. And at 15 years old, he felt the voice of God speak to him and say, I want you to preach the gospel to the world. And he would say, how, oh, Lord, I'm in this shop. And that day the shopkeeper came in and he saw that New Testament and he slapped it off the table and he slapped that boy out of the chair And he beat him and he said, you never bring that book back into my shop. And that little boy went home and he told his father and his mother, he said, that same Jesus, that Jesus is calling me to preach. And God did a miracle and brought a Bible school the next week to that to that city, the only Bible school in the whole city. And that boy entered it at 16 years old and he spent the rest of his life preaching the same Jesus that had saved his father, the Jesus that his grandmother had given her life for. And over the next 60 years, he went to over 120 countries around the world, preached on six continents, hundreds of thousands of people heard the gospel preached, tens of thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus. His name was Samuel Doctorian. and it was my grandfather. And so that that mother who willingly laid her head on the block of the executioner saying, I won't deny Christ. That little boy who laid on the rock and said, I'm ready to die. But Jesus saved me. The little boy in the shoe shop who said, I want to be obedient to the call. But, Lord, I don't know how. Every single one of them would be the first to tell you that the miracle God did in their life wasn't just for them. The miracle that God did in their life to bring them out of that, it wasn't just so they could be healed and they could be holy. It was about the people and the lives that were waiting on the other side of their obedience. The thousands around the world that were waiting that had never heard the gospel were waiting on the other side of the obedience of those three. Listen to me, church. God wants to do a miracle in your life, but it's not just about you. God wants to do the same thing in your life, but it's not just about you being healed and whole. He wants that for you, for your family, but he wants that for those who are waiting on the other side of your obedience. The ones who are waiting on the other side of your miracle. And I know in this culture, in this situation, in this jaded society we live in, it's hard to say, they say God doesn't do miracles or God doesn't do these things or God doesn't. I want to encourage you from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. It says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus that gave his life for you, the same Jesus that did miracles 2,000 years ago, wants to do miracles in your life today. He wants to restore your vision. He wants to touch you. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. I just want to pray over you that God would move in your life. I want to pray that God would do a miracle in your life, that vision would be restored. That God would touch you. But first I want to pray for those of you who maybe have gotten lost or disoriented. Or maybe you took a wrong turn and you made a mistake and you blame God for whatever it was that happened that robbed you of your vision. You blame God for whatever it is and you find yourself far from him. I want to pray over you today. And I want you to know that God is not waiting to judge you or to condemn you. He's not waiting just to to push you to the side. He's not waiting just to punish you. He's waiting to have a relationship with you. If no one else has ever told you this, I want you to know that God loves you. And I want you to know that God still loves you. Because I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. God still loves you. God still wants to have a relationship with you. I promise you today, if you'll surrender to him, he wants to do a miracle in your life. He wants to give you vision again. He wants to give you clarity again. He wants to show you his plan. He still has for you. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I would just ask you, if you want to pray that today. Would you just get your heart ready? Ready? I want to pray a prayer with you that God would turn you back from wherever it is that you're headed, that God would put you back on the right path, that you would be in relationship with him again. Or if you've never done it, that you would have a first chance just to give your life to him. So come on, church, we're going to pray with those. If you say, I want to pray that prayer, I can give you the words. You've got to say them and you've got to mean them. So that's you today. Pray with us the whole church prays along with you come on church let's say it just say Lord Jesus forgive me of my sins forgive me of my mistakes I repent Lord give me vision for my life help me to live the life that you've called me to live God let your spirit fill me I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus name Now, would you do me the favor with your heads bowed, but would you do me the favor and just open your hands if you're comfortable with it. Just open your hands, palm up. I just want to pray over you. Lord, I pray for every person in our church. God, I pray for those who are struggling, Lord, whether it's in their careers or in their marriages or with their children, God, or in their spirituality or in their walk, Lord, whatever it is that are struggling, I pray, God, that you, Lord, would do a miracle in their life the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. Lord, that you can do the supernatural. We thank you, Lord, that you can touch that which was dead and you can bring it back to life. God, we pray as one body, Lord, we take captive every thought and deception that would raise itself against you. Every lie of the enemy that would raise itself against the vision that you have for us. And Lord, we thank you. That we can plead the blood of Jesus over it. Lord, we thank you that you came to give us life and give it more abundantly. God, we demolish strongholds. Lord, we pray the name of Jesus Christ over our lives. We pray, Lord, that we will see, Lord, we will see the life that you're bringing. Lord, that our children will be saved. Lord, that our marriages will be renewed. God, that the calling you have on our life God, that the vision would be restored. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to take this journey with you. We thank you for the opportunity to turn our lives back to you. We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. And all the church said, can we put our hands for what God has done today?